You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. It is March 7th, 2016, and we are Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Hello, I hope you can hear me. Can you hear me, Chris? Nancy Burns, who's talking in the background, live on Future Theater on PSN Radio and... The Dark um, Matter. The digital... uh, (laughs) I'm sorry. You can't hear me, right? No, I, I cannot hear you at all. Okay. Everybody else can hear me. Um, let's see here. I don't... Uh, Chris, say hi to Bill, and let's see if I, Bill can I hear can, you. I can hear Bill very, uh, very loud and clear, but you're a little bit on... Just uh, a little, little bit low, but, but I can hear. Hmm. Yeah, so. just, j- j- just speak up into the mic. You'll be fine. Anyway, this is Future Theater on the Dark Matter uh, Digital Network and PSN Radio, and our guest tonight uh, is going to be Tim Swartz talking about... Nikola Tesla and the little Thomas Edison and how do you talk to the dead? But uh, but a lot of other things because Tim Swartz edited the um, Tesla's secret journals and that's what we're going to talk about. Well, it's ironic. Is this a little better? Yes. No. No, not really. Is this better now? Well, it's going to be a fascinating show, and I'm really uh, interested in hearing about the uh, the way that he was uh, trying to do this. It's, okay, um, is, so very is, interesting. is this better? Well, they both had really no. they uh, uh, they both had really fascinating approaches to it. Um, and we're going to do it with uh, uh, with Tim. This whole thing came at a time uh, when when. Um, Science, the, the science of electronics and, and atomic energy and theoretical physics, was was bumping into the uh, uh, trailing edge of the age of spiritualism. This would have been shortly. This would have been right, but you know, right before 1920, right after the war, uh, World War One. Hey, is and this that's is, a lot of the stuff. is this better? That's much better. Oh, now boy. you're now you're fine. So We're you must have just plugged in. Yeah, I, I was checking. Oh yeah, excuse me, I am completely frazzled because the Skype went down right before showtime. And yeah, but but now it's did good. you plug in? Everything's I mean, plugged in. I unplugged and replugged. That's what I just did. Oh, uh, that was it. Okay, fine. Because you weren't connected. Yeah. You were talking through the. Um, yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Okay, so you're fine. So anyway, we were just talking about our, our guest tonight is Tim Swartz, and um, glad the headpiece is working now. Oh, I was going to say, I, I was going to say, ironically, you're talking about talking to the dead. It's actually probably easier <laughs> than trying to talk to the alive on, um, you know, the TV. I know, given, uh, given the connections, yeah. given the connections hey, we just on got, the computer. And we just got word that we can hear you perfect, Nancy. Yay. Yep. yep. Perfect. Yep. Yeah. Everybody can hear you. And and a shout out to Crystal and a shout out to you, Chris. Uh, you. I missed last Wednesday's Skywatchers, but I am not going to miss this one. You guys had a Nancy on anyway. 
you, do you remember? Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. She's, she's fabulous. And so she really, was. Yeah. So it's she's good. seen some freaky things. And uh, this next week will be Emmanuel with the, with the flat earth concept that Ooh. he has. And he's got all kinds of things to, to go on about that. So, so whip up your answers of what things you <laughs> want to say because uh, he, he really believes that it's a flat earth. Wow. And by the time he's done with you, you might be believing. So Yeah, so maybe, uh, maybe Angel will call in uh, because you will need Angel's, if you will, negative approach. You'll you'll need sure. that heavily if sure. if at all. But otherwise, you'll have to, you know, the other guy will have to carry the flag. Crystal, somebody will have to be negative, ultra negative. I agree. I agree. But tonight, 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 I, I thought we were going to have a repeat of the show. Um, it's the exact same situation that we had to close down to. It, it was a whole month ago, and so much has changed in the month. Um, I had a terrible flu, which kind of took me out much of the month, but, uh, and I still haven't taken my Christmas tree down, and I will soon, uh, but I still find it very festive and beautiful. Um, and uh, the book, the very book that Bill wanted to talk to Tim about, is all up in the air. And so Bill can tell us, you know, what's the future of the topic of tonight's show, the book? Well, it's not the... It's not the book itself that's the title, uh, that's the subject. Of, it is the subject of the book that is the subject of tonight's show, not the book itself. The book itself is going to be published, and um, it, it, this, this all had to do with a row over the, the publishers taking the t- a title off the, off the cover of UFO magazine and using it for one of its books. And I called the publisher out on it and said, hey, you know, this is where that title came from, was The Children of Roswell, appeared on UFO Magazine, title we invented. And, I mean, it, it came to us from Jack Rodden, but you know, we're the ones that thought of using it as a title. In other words, when you frame something, this is the bigger picture, when you, no pun intended, when you frame something out, when you put it in a closed field, it becomes something more than what it was. It, it's like the old Andy Warhol doing a, a painting of a Campbell's soup can. In and of itself, it's a Campbell's soup can. But in an enclosed field, portrayed as art, as something other than a Campbell's soup can, even though it's a rendition of it and how it's portrayed, now it becomes art. And so... What we did was we took something, the children of Roswell, that Jack Rodden had said in passing, and we were going to use that as the basis of a television series. And um, it started out on the cover of the magazine. And then when I saw it on this book coming out from New Page Books, I was furious. So I wrote him a, a hostile letter. <laughs> they replied by canceling the Thomas Edison book, and that's where we are. Well, huh. Yeah, and so, you know, I've begun to talk to Chris about doing a book, and, and as as you guys all know, we're working on a book with Soroya, and I'm just, I bring all this up because as we revive our Shadowland Press and as we revive our filament books, the book publishing business, one could say it's a, it's a difficult time to revive these companies because the book publishing business is in a lot of trouble. In fact, UK Nook, the Barnes and Noble Nook project has closed down in the UK, and that's astounding. 
You it know. is. It, yeah. it tried to go up against Amazon UK and yeah. and just could not do it. And and you know part of the problem is that I mean we were in that oh we are in that business now, but we were in it on the same basis as Barnes and Noble because we too had our own device, which mm-hmm. was the which was the Rocket ebook. And one of the things you learn really quickly is that if you are um, kind of chain-linked to a, a piece of hardware, then that piece of hardware can either be your, your rocket engine or it can be your, your dead weight holding you back. And that was one of the problems of device-based e-books, you know, a device-specific e-books, that as the Apple iPad and then the, um, of, of course, all the Microsoft pad devices and other pad devices, including smartphones, entered the industry. And of course, Amazon's Kindle becoming its own kind of uh, reading, reader-oriented uh, uh, tablet computer there's just no more room for new devices well, that are not convergent devices. But more than ever, more than ever, content is going to rule the rule the world. Uh, people who can write, people who can make content, could be in the catbird seat if I think if they work very hard, if they don't quit. And if they have a teeny weeny little bit of luck on their side, but I think as people like Tim Schwartz, our guest tonight, are, are, are living proof. If you stay with the business, if you keep on uh, writing the books that you want to write, uh, writing them as as dense and as intricate as you want to make them, because in the ebook world that we now live in, there's no limit to how big your book could be. For example, like the Tesla book that we're working on right now. Um, it will contain Tesla's entire uh, presentation to the IEEE Society, for example, in which he, to his peers, describes uh, invention after invention after invention. And that's a record that I think our listeners would like to have. So that goes in the book. Even though it takes up tons of pages for illustrations and descriptions, it's really cool to have it. And Exactly. And it doesn't matter because you're not printing it on paper. So that's there's right. no printing press. That's right. And um, so in the case, say, of Chris Brown, um, tell folks what your book, well, we're, gonna, we're still working on the title, but the title's going to use the word sublimity in it. The Sublimity Close Encounter. I, I love the name. Yeah. Uh, there was a name the guy came, uh, the, the MUFON uh, supervisor came up here in Oregon and uh, for my encounter, and, and uh, it, it just kind of all rang together. So it's uh, That's right. a pretty name. It's a pretty little town that I wish I still lived in, but I'm not. Yeah, but now everybody yeah. can appreciate, you know, um, I think the word sublimity just means that your fortunes are set, Chris. Um, you could have had your encounter in, you know, Bone Crank, you know, Ohio mm-hmm. or something, you know, or like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I used to criticize Wheeling, West Virginia. It used to be a kind of an, a, a bad town to pass through. But, but, but listen, I did want to also bring up, uh, I did want to talk about politics tonight a little bit because every show that I listen to, the minute the person says, we're going to talk about politics. There'll be a chat group that says, no, don't do it. But I've got a cool, cool, cool thing to talk about in politics that I believe everybody should know about. Okay, mm-hmm. it's background. It's the best background, I think, of all. Um, 
So, and uh, so Bill knows what I want to talk about. Do you agree that we should, I think we should bring this up because I don't think enough people know about this. Okay. Sure. I don't know what you're bringing up, so that's fine with me. Okay, well, this mm-hmm. is about Donald Trump, okay? And this with, is... A, with, the, with the triple uh, triple hair? You like that? <laughs> the triple yeah. hair. Actually, triple a big hair. shout out. I Prairie Ghost um, made a really cool tweet, and I've been... I've been totally under the weather, and so my energy is lower than Jeb Bush. I'm a lower energy than Jeb Bush. And um, Prairie Ghost tweeted this cool Twitter. I think, I don't know whether he invented it, but he found it. Of uh, No, maybe, or Chris, did you invent it, and then Prairie Ghost found an image? I think maybe it was your, actually, you said two really clever things on, on uh, Skywatchers last week. One was the thing about the triple hair. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't remember the other one was so f- it was so on on target, and I turned to Bill and I repeated it out loud because I had headphones on, and now like, you're probably not going to remember it either. It was another thing about Donald Trump that was so basic. Oh, that he will probably quit. Yeah, because he's yeah yeah, and yeah. He'll, be the, he'll be the second president to quit. Bill, I I truly believe that he'll be. Yeah. yeah, he'll be like a spoiled brat when he gets doesn't get his way. When he's butting heads in there with him, <laughs> then he'll just say, "Screw you, people!" Like I quit. quit. Yeah, like so, yeah. yeah, that is absolutely. People should think about that. But here's the thing: I want to bring to the table. You know about in the debate when they talked about the size of Trump's hands, right? Yeah. Okay. Now he holds up his hands, and he uses his hands a whole lot for gesticulating. Yes, triple hair. Tribble hair, like as I in tribbles. That that comes from Chris too, from last yeah, week. Yeah, Star Trek. Yeah. Yeah, tribble <laughs> hair. Because <laughs> truly, truly, he must have an unlimited supply of tribbles in his back room. You see. Um, so anyway, uh, so so he's talking about his hands, and he's holding his hands up, and he's saying, you know, because Marco Rubio said, "You have small hands." They say you have, and you know what they say that means. And so he holds his hands up and says, "Yeah, it's like a guy with a big nose," you know. Yeah, that's what they say. Mm-hmm. Well, the uh, but but here's here's the part that anybody who's a Donald Trump fan at least should hear. The, th- this is the part that offended me the most. In the course of this, holding his hands up and saying, I have beautiful hands, he mentions in his, you know, he's like a stand-up comic. He, his his um, his presentation is exactly like a stand-up comic. So he's saying, I, nobody's ever said anything about my hands before. I don't know why that, where that comes from. I never heard that before. And he didn't have to say that. He didn't have to lie on that level. And here's what I mean. Okay, back uh, in 1988... Okay, there was a magazine called Spy, S-P-Y. And back in 1988, there was no internet. There was no 4chan. There was no porn on the internet. There was no internet breaking all the rules of civility. But there was Spy magazine. And for those in New York, and then a little bit outside New York, but it was really, it was a phenomenon in New York. And Donald Trump was going bankrupt, Un, you know, unbankrupting himself. And then he was a big blowhard guy back then. Uh, I think he was still married to Ivanka, right? Mm-hmm. Ivana. Yeah, whatever, Ivana. Ivana. Um, yeah. And so Spy Magazine, in the course of eight solid years, called him the short-fingered vulgarian. Okay, short-fingered vulgarian. And in typical Trump fashion... 
the vulgarian part he ignored. It was the short-fingered thing. That drove him crazy. So he spent for the next eight years, and all the people at Spy still have paperwork on this. He, whenever he had a picture of himself taken, he would circle the hand and send it to the folks at Spy saying, look, my fingers are not short. So it bothered him for that long a time. It was that... Uh, and so for him to hold his hands up and say, I never heard that before, nobody's ever said that before, is to me, your head just explodes in the rewriting of history. Um, it's, it's such an unnecessary lie. So I throw that out there to anybody that's curious about the whole short fingers, stubby little fingers, whatever. You know, it really got to him. Okay. Right, but the other thing is that it didn't just come out of nowhere that Marco Rubio didn't wake up one morning or somebody on his, um, in the campaign didn't wake up one morning and say, I have an idea, let's invent this thing about Donald Trump having short fingers, having little hands. No, what happened was somebody knew about all this back in the day, mm-hmm. and that's what he was referring to. Of it didn't course. go anywhere because Marco Rubio was not smart enough to follow up, but that, that's, that, that's where it came from. Well, I just I just thought it was a fascinating thing that when it circled back around and, and kind of got him in the, you know, here's his latest incarnation. He's got a new wife. Everything about him's new. His hair's new. His clothes are new. But his fingers are still short, and it still clearly bothers him. And by the way, Amy Amy points out um, in in here that his real name supposedly is Drumpf. Um, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's D R U M P F or D R U M. Yeah, and that was uh, that was uh, uh, what's uh, it's a cable show called uh, John Oliver's late uh, mm-hmm. cable show. Right. You know, so I mean, we're eventually going to cut the cable cord. I think as as uh, you know, as we look at YouTube more and more for our, for our entertainment uh, and not cable. But anyway, so that was my little. I wanted to bring the short fingered vulgarian also. Um, the reason Spy Magazine is su- such a critical part of my life, was critical, was because they had a column called The Small Print, okay, in which they literally printed a column of the most juicy gossip. You know, it would come out, this thing would come out every month. You would just get the magazine the minute it came out, and you would just open to The Small Print and start reading. And I had just turned 40. So this is must have been 87. So I had just turned 40. And that's when I realized I was going to need glasses because I couldn't read the small print in Spy Magazine. And that's why I ended up going to a pharmacy and getting, you know, expansion glasses. So just, you know, just, you know. And so Spy Magazine sits in my memory in a, in a solid spot. And I used to read the short-fingered Vulgarian all the time. They loved to throw that. And they'd never mentioned his name, but that they said that. But, so. we, but we also, but remember, we also published books, a whole series of books, with uh, one of the principals at Spy Magazine, one of the investors, one of the owners, who, um, who also owned Carol Publishing, Steve Shragas. Really? Oh, I didn't know that. I'd yeah, forgotten Steve about that, the, yeah. Yeah, he was part of Spy Magazine. I think he was one of the, uh, yeah, uh, but, the backers but, of Spy Magazine. And, of course, we published both uh, a Forever Dobie book with him uh, the, um, and, and, and Maynard, um, Gilligan, Maynard, and me for, with Bob Denver and the Bewitched Cookbook. Right, and if folks want to even kind of vaguely say a little bit of this, you can go to shadowlandpress.com. Um, I literally have been working on this website 
in between my low energy periods uh, a lot. And I've got the early sections. I've got them, you know, this, I have different categories of the books. And the books the Bill's talking about are all in the celebrity category. And you can hit the button and you can look down and see all the books. But that's as far as you can go at the moment. I don't have the book pages ready. But it's a, it's a massive, massive job. We have over 100 books, I come to say, um, in over 37 years, like 38 years, right? Same as our marriage almost, right? Right. There you go. Yeah. And so it's kind of fun now that I have been fired from everything I've ever done. Um, I'm working for us. And, you know, picking up a lot of the pieces. Um, Also, just in passing, I don't know whether anybody listening would care about this, but maybe they would. We have to get our stuff out of California storage. The California storage where our stuff is located, uh, the magazine collection, is uh, the guy's quitting his business. It's a little family-owned storage place. And so now we have to ship the stuff east and I'm going to be putting up for sale signs everywhere. Uh, the s- name of the site is Shadow, as in Shadow People, Shadow Lawn, as in your front lawn, Shadow Lawn Press, as in press, Shadow Lawn Press. And um, so we're going to be putting for sale signs up for everywhere. We're going to sell the physical old magazines. And so if anybody, I have an idea of some really cool collections I can make for you from the magazines, but but look for that. Uh, I'll, you know, that's in the future. Um, so it's going to be a year of trying to sell stuff. That's for sure. Yes, it will be. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that's, yeah. So guys, what else is new with the two of you? Um, go ahead, Chris. Uh, Bill. Well, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I just been here with the, with the family and had to do my Costco run today and and get some stuff and and um, well now I'm in rush home for here and 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 well and now I'm here and so. I want to and I want to thank you because um, with Angel tending to his mom uh, we are. We are holding the flag up, all of us, and and you are really, really helping. And, you know, it's been a quiet week because I've been sleeping most of the week, but um, it is really good. And, and Danny's been sick. Um, yeah, if he's Danny's got the same, yeah, if he's got the same crud that we've had, it's going to be a while. But, so, yeah. Well, I appreciate, you know, helping, and, and Angel's helped me, and you guys have helped me, and so it's just, you know, and, and I enjoy it, and it's, it's given me a chance to get out there and to, and to uh, meet more people and and just you know it's, well, it's have, fun. Are so. you making any headway with the uh, McMinnville um, situation? I know the last we talked uh, two shows ago, our last guest uh, Clarkson. We find him, James Clarkson. James Clarkson. James Clarkson. Yeah, yeah. I'll he, be there uh, on the uh, on the MUFON. We'll be having a at the table at this year. They'll be having. Uh, I'll be talking there and giving oh, nice. the speech, and so hopefully that will get me in there to, you know, maybe meet up with this with this guy that's running it. But uh, you know, he mentioned at the Paranormal Pub, so then I called the Paranormal Pub, right, 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 there, and because um, I knew all where that's at and all that, and it ended up being the same gentleman that was running the same phone number, running the McMinnville thing. Ah, so you know, I. I don't know. I, I just uh, I think he's just kind of a promoter for the McMinimums around here. Like I say, they're all they're all bar they're all like pubs that have all um, you know they're like 
buildings that historical buildings that uh, right, right. you know and they they turn them into these little things and they're real, they're real, you know nice and they got but, they, but this it sounds like this guy doesn't know from UFOs would that be right no because I when I actually first called him you go back I guess two years now and I told him about my encounter and this and that and I already had been in open minds and this and that and then um, he said, well, I don't really follow much UFOs too much. And I was just kind of like, uh, what? Ah. Now yeah. I kind of know why. It could be a money deal. So, you know, it's really kind of – and either that's really – or his work. So he just kind of gets what he's programmed to do, and that's all he does and cares. I don't know. Well, But um, he's going to know because I don't stop. And, yeah, I know. I was going to – so yeah. what about uh, the Paranormal Cafe? Did he close that down or did he say no, you, you could talk? No, it's still going. It's still going. It's just that's far from me. That's clear up in uh, – uh. Portland, because ah. since I, hundred, yeah, I moved 130 miles away from where I was before, and be, where I was before, I was 55 miles outside of Portland. Okay. So yeah, so I'm I'm about 100 and good, probably almost 200 miles. Well, um, yeah. last week we had a surprise. Uh, thank, I think this is your you're doing right, Chris. Uh, yeah, and I hope you enjoyed my surprise. Oh, it was wonderful. I uh, thank you very much for that. Right, and and um and and we had and therefore John Ventry came on, and John Ventry is the epitome, um, Chris, of the kind of guy you want to be like. I think in terms of relentlessness, he has been. He's a really good organizer, um, and he's done great conventions. But he's he strikes me of as like a pure MUFON kind of guy of, of the best sort. You know, he doesn't seem to have. Uh, he's not in it for anything, I think, but the UFO stuff and the community. So I agree with that. Yeah. I so. agree with that. You know, I've reached out to people. As I said, I don't want to throw names out, but um, I reached out to some of those people and they didn't get back to me, you know, when I was trying to see if they wanted to come on. And I don't know, it's kind of kind of a bummer, but, but it, well, it, it fuels me and it just pushes me harder and I use that for motivation in other ways I guess all I can do well that's 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 the secret of life you know just keep keep you know try to try to not go looking for criticism i kind of think that's an important thing and just that's that's how i made it as far as my encounter you know i mean yeah. cuz i i do feel that that my encounter is special and everybody everybody's heard my encounter feels my encounter is special but you know it's uh what what I thought it was when a day two days after it happened where I thought I'd Bill would be knocking on my door mm-hmm. and it wasn't like that you know I had to get out there and and prove myself and show myself and show who I was you know got credibility and and just don't give up the relentless and so I tell no that, you can't no you can't I mean when uh, when we first did the uh, uh, the Corso book um, and, and I had to kind of go out on some of the bulletin boards. It was 1997, and I'm out on some of the bulletin boards because people were inviting me on to ask questions, and the publisher was saying, look, you've got to get on some of these bulletin boards because they're all talking about it. And I was appalled when I went on some of those boards, the CompuServe list and lists like that. I was appalled at some of the viciousness that was out there. I mean, it wasn't initially directed at me. I mean, ultimately a lot was, but there was so much vision. And I remember one particular conversation and this probably, and, and this, I thought of this when you were talking about how hard it's been and how relentless you have to be was people were talking about the Linda Cortili case, the famous Bud Hopkins, Linda Cortili, Brooklyn bridge, all of that. Yeah. And one, and they were talking about, um, how damaged 
abductees are when they come forward. And then this one person comes on and says, since, since um, he, he gave some pretext and says, I'm going to rip her guts out to get to the truth. And so that's the kind of stuff that's involved in this. And it's that level of crazy and that level of relentless. And so in, in the case of when you're coming forward with something, you've got to be um, very, very prepared to stand up to a lot of people who are going to say without any evidence at all or just because they're, they've got a certain mindset mm-hmm. that you're lying. Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah, and I and I and I totally I get that a hundred percent, you know, and um yeah, it just uh it is what it is. So it just uh I felt like it gave me a mission after this my encounter. Like literally, like I told the MUFON guys that afterwards, like it planted this in my head for me, get my encounter out there and, and that's just what I've done, you know. I mean Yeah. It's just, I I do I feel like it programmed me just to be just so gung ho and just and I you know I guess I got that sales in me a little bit with my dad owning all those car dealerships and doing his what he's done all his life and I don't know. Well, it is. Uh, some people say, in starting even with somebody like Whitley Strieber, <laughs> they will say that when aliens, whatever we call this other thing that we all talk about, when they actually make contact and you feel somehow that they're speaking to you in your head or some such thing. Um, they often pick people that they know can carry the torch, according to people like Whitley Strieber, who literally says that it's because he's uh, a wordsmith. He's a guy who can really get the message across. That's why he thinks, you know, he was selected. And whether mm-hmm. you can take that to the bank or not, I don't know. I um, feel like that a little bit myself. I just don't feel like I'm as, uh, I don't have good speak Like Bill, when you hear Bill talk, he sounds so um, articulate in what he says, and he knows all the big fancy words and things. And well, I'm not that way, so uh, well, I get well, that with the Whitley well, streamer, you know. Yeah. yeah, I heard him talk well, too. That doesn't come got... out of uh, that, uh, that doesn't come out of the package that way. But um, <laughs> um, it is uh, first of all, it's at the bottom of the hour, so we're going to have to take our first break and come back with our guest Tim Schwartz. Uh, Chris is our producer, is staying with us. And uh, to everybody out there in um, Internet Radio Land, we are Bill and Nancy Burns. This is Future Theater Live. We are on PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. And we are going to be back after well, no. will soon be no, these no, no. messages. But here's the thing. Um, we are going to, because we're on the old-fashioned way of doing the show, we're doing the show through the headpieces, not through the studio. I still The sound last week was craziness, and I have to find a way, by right, the way. Right, but all of this is going to be cut out because you're going to come back with no, 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 well, no, no, actually, we're just going to leave it in, and I'm going to uh, hit the hit the call button in just a okay, second. Okay, go hit the call button. Yeah, but I wanted to say, I wanted to say to anybody who has not heard last week's show, I think you have to really turn it down and kind of find your own way. I will um, go into audacity. That's a sound manipulating program somebody out there will know how to make the sound less hot i think it has to do with a thing called clipping at at the top and the bottom i'm looking into that and i will fix that podcast file so it's more listenable so if you haven't heard it maybe maybe take a week off and i'm going to just and i'm just going to add tim right now as we go let's just hope this works whoops i did it wrong i did it wrong i added him to the chat Okay, now I'm going to do this. So Tim is now in the chat. Um, okay. He's been invited to the chat, but now i got to do it here, which is right here. 
learning on the job, learning on the job. But hey, hey, each week we get better. Yes, we do. Yeah. Okay. Just be yeah. happy you have a job to learn on. That's right. And I can't get fired because I hired mm. myself. <laughs> That's right. You're the boss of you. I'm the boss of me. So, Tim, I think you're here. I am here. How are you doing tonight? Hey, Hi, Tim. Thanks good. for joining us. Wow. Well, well, great. My, oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm like Nancy, like you, I've, uh, I've, I'm recovering from uh, not the flu, but uh, I suppose you'd call it, what, a flu-like virus? So. Well, it was, I, I think John Stewart, <clears throat> used, he used to call it the boobans. It's there the you uh, go. bubonic plague, the boobans. Yep, yep. The boobans, the boobans. The boobans, right. That, that's, well, you know, that's I mean, we start. Well, we sort of have a conversation in the first half hour, and uh, I realized during the conversation that you would be perfect to join in on it. This was about the the changes. It's it's more among authors, but it was the changes in the publishing industry. Mm. And I know that you've adopted in certain ways, and of course Tim Beckley's adopted in certain ways. And I just wanted to get your. I mean, if you look at it, the the big news was. Was that UK Nook shut down? The Barnes and Noble UK Nook shut down. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me. I had, I had so, heard that. I had heard that today, but I had uh, heard rumors of that oh, a couple of weeks ago, at least. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it's a, it, yeah, it surprises me because there's no inventory. I don't understand how they can't meet expenses, etc. <sighs> did you did you deal with Nook at all? Yes, yes. Did you did you? I mean, was it a pleasant experience? No, no, it's horrible. And yes, it's horrible. And in fact, Tim, um, you and I kind of have the same path. We've been editors for a long, long time. Are you currently editing eBooks at all? Oh yes. Okay, now. Okay, so then I won't bother our listeners. We'll talk after the show. Okay, but doesn't it make you crazy how many hoops you have to go through to uh, pr- copyright protect the books? And when, oh my goodness, digital text is so easy to work with if you don't complicate it. It's- yes, but what do you say? What do you say to an author who sees his or her work all over the internet, copied, criticized, cut, pasted, re? um, repurposed in a thousand different ways Mm -hmm. and the person says but this is a book that I wrote Mm -hmm. I mean I'm not you know this was not like a blog post public pronouncement this was a book that I wrote and and at the very least I mean if you if if you're going to steal from me uh, could you like at least use my name you know it's things like that that a lot of authors mean I remember the shock when I first saw the manuscript for Day After Roswell up on Scribd, <laughs> and, and this is before Scribd became or what it is now, and I just remember looking at, uh, there's my book, and I'm, I'm looking at this, uh, this protocol to go through under the Digital Millennium Copyright Act to inform the host, because he didn't put it up himself, somebody else put it up, it's like the YouTube for text, mm-hmm. um, just to inform them. And, uh, and of course, at the doorway is the office sign for Wilson Sansini, which is one of the big litigation law firms in Silicon Valley. So that's what you're dealing with. And 
So you send your DMCA notice letter, which I did. And, you know, there's like no reaction, no reaction, no reaction. And finally, it's talk to my lawyers. And so you realize what the, what eventually I got it taken down. And then some and Schuster got into a deal with them and they put it back up again. Mm. But the, uh, the, when you look at that level of an author seeing copyrighted work or work that person's created spewed all over the place, it's frustrating. So there really has to be a happy medium with remedies. It's not just, you know, be a nice person, but with real remedies for infringement. And um, that's, I think, at the heart of this. So publishers, so forget individual authors who are powerless, mm-hmm. but, but the big publishers are, have pressed this because they pressed it on us for filament have pressed it for how is my um, how are my rights going to be protected specifically because they have to represent and warrant to the author who's the proprietor mm-hmm. that if they register the copyright in that author's name their act is that even if they're acting in concert with the author and probably pursue with the author even if they're acting that way they have to be the ones to go out there trolling for copyright violations because they've taken the step to do that. And so that explains so much of the behavior of the motion picture industry, of the recording industry, of the publishing industry. And that's what brought about this level of digital rights management, DRMs, to electronic publishing. Because unlike bound book publishing, um, you, unless you have a printing press, that book is going to remain a single copy or a Xerox copy. But with digital printing, with PDFs and, and, and e-books and iBooks and things like that, w- w- without that protection, they can be copyrighted and viral in, 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 in the case of ours. Right. So right. somewhere there's a happy medium, but that happy medium has to account for remedies for those whose work has been infringed upon. There has to be a remedy. Yeah. Well, and boy, yeah, good luck with, good luck with that. I mean, um, all of these, all of these electronic means if they've come up so far, you know, to keep, uh, you know, keep these books encrypted, things like that, they can be easily circumnavigated, you know? Oh yeah. Probably by some, you know, twelve-year-old uh, Ukrainian kid in his parents' basement. You know. Uh, well, that's how a lot of. Well, that's how there is so much intellectual um, uh, intellectual product piracy going on in Asia, mm-hmm. because they are decrypting some of these things, and so you will see complete motion pictures decrypted and shuttling around Asian markets. Same with books. Uh, in fact, a Chinese publisher a thousand years ago told me, basically, you make a deal with me, because if you don't make a deal with me, this was the O.J. Simpson book, if you don't make a deal with me, somebody is going to just take it and publish it. So you might as well make a deal with me, even if you don't like this money, because it's too low, you're paying me protection. <laughs> because once I've done it, Nobody's going to steal the copyright. 
and at least it's a chance of making royalties, which we never got. But but that was the whole point well, of this, that it was wow. in those markets. Um, Dance with the devil. Yeah. Uh, while you were talking, I just, for the fun of it, looked up Tim Schwartz Edison. Okay? Just... Just for the heck of it, and the num the fifth thing down is the PDF of the Lost Journals of Nikola Tesla. Oh yeah. Uh, so yeah. has that affected your? Is the fact that you could literally right now go online and get one of your books that used to be a print book with uh, Tim Beckley, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. Ha- have has it affected your sales? Have they only gone up since it's also readily available? I hope. You know, um, the the uh, the pirated online version of the Lost Journals of Nikola Tesla has been out there for quite a while. Let's mm-hmm. see, we the the book originally came out in the year two thousand, mm-hmm. and it was maybe a year or two, bef- and it was already up. You know, wow. online, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, like Bill had said, it was on. Uh, uh, was it scribed? Is that uh, yeah, right, scribed? Yeah, yeah, right, right. In its in its earlier incarnation, mm-hmm. and um, uh, but uh, now over the last you know couple of years, I mean, sales of the book have diminished. But you have to realize, you know, the book's been out since the year two thousand, uh, but it hasn't been out of print. Since it's, you know, uh, since that time. Right. So sometimes I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's the problem with the ages is that, you know, everybody wants things right now. So if somebody really, really wants to read the book and, and, you know, doesn't want to pay for it, like a lot of, a lot of people do, yeah, they can just go online and find it. Uh, But there, there are still, thank heavens, people out there who want a physical book in their hands. Well, are you uh, also selling the PDF or the EPUB online? Uh, like say through Amazon and stuff through through Amazon, yeah, and yeah. Uh, it you know, well, I mean it uh, it uh, originally was uh, on your ebook. Yes, uh, I know. And, and years and, ago, and, that's you how know, that's I remember that from that. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. see, I'm going back in my records, and I actually sent checks to all the authors. I did all the royalties. Mm-hmm. Um, I sent checks, for example, to Clear Channel. It was uh, Clear Channel. It was the deal we had was we were splitting all of our, our profits with Clear Channel because they were supposed to promote filament. And I rem- one time we sent them a check for th- when we first started for $37,000. Wow. It was that lucrative at, at one mm-hmm. point. Um, so I know we You can- are supposed to send that check to me. Oh, see, that, that's the thing. I know we can I do this. I still think that's too high. I have to, I have to check. I have to see that. <laughs> I well, want to say it's 3700 no, no, no! It was thousand because uh, thirty-seven hundred is what we would send to Tim Beckley, stuff like that. I mean, he Tim Beckley told me at one point he was living on our royalties. They were, I think, uh, four times a year. I believe I was doing them, something like that. But we did uh, them quarterly, right? Yeah, and so the fact is, handled correctly, uh, without partners, I really think you know, I'm revisiting all this. So I say to you, Tim wouldn't it be cool if you could let people know that you're going to put some stuff in a revision that's going to be only, you know, 
it can only be gotten through your website, let's just say. Right. And and you keep, instead of, I was shocked. Okay, I was working with Soroya and um, kind of beginning to put filament books back on its feet. And so I asked her to research what the royalty structure was because I can't remember our royalties back in the filament days. They were involved with a piece of hardware, so for the new filament with no hardware, we're not giving away a, an ebook reader, it'll be a different royalty set. So I went looking for, and I found out, shockingly, that Amazon takes 70% of your profits and gives you 30%. Oh yeah, well, and you're lucky if you get that. You know, because, uh, um, and, and I can't even begin to try to understand it. Beckley's trying yeah. to explain it to me. You know, there. Well, it's called it's, robbery. It, it's, well, it's not that, you know, it's not that uh, just like up and uh, and simple. Like, you know, you sell so many books, you get so much uh, royalty. You know, there's, it's, uh, there's a, a convoluted method of uh, how they determined, you right. know, sales and, and, and how much you get. I mean, they, uh, they, they, they make uh, uh, Hollywood studios look like amateurs when it comes to uh, uh, paying royalties. It's true. <laughs> it's true. So it, at one point I got very frustrated and said, well, I'll just do 50-50 because at the very least, um, you know, it's higher than Amazon. But as I look around more, you can get lots of good deals. I think where you as an author, um, you get you get the 70%. You give uh, – the 30% is the highest, I think that the publisher should take. I don't, but I haven't finished researching, but I'm, it, it's an interesting place out there. But Bill, uh, Bill, see, because now Bill suddenly finds himself with a raw manuscript on his hands, what he was going to pick your brain about. And so, you know, I'm thinking, I see a, a good book of building here, if you get my drift. Okay. That is very exclusive to all of us because we've, we've successfully done this in the past. We really should, you know, start you know, buttering our own bread here. <laughs> well, it made money. I mean, that was the fun about filming. People bought, uh, people subscribed. We we acquired books. Well, Beckley, we, Beckley was one of our biggest, biggest, yeah. biggest sellers because here, here's the beauty of uh, Tim, T Timothy's. I mean, it, it's all, Tim, you've, you've been working with, you've been building these books for, for Tim Beckley forever. Yes. I, I think maybe from the beginning, perhaps almost? No, not not from the beginning. I mean, you know, uh, when Beckley first started publishing books, I mean, I was still I was still in high school. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you would not have what you would not have wanted to read anything that I produced when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. Well, the, but, the beauty, but, yeah. but as as soon as I started uh, writing for Beckley's magazines, he brought me in. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, for his uh, book publishing as well, right? So I mean, it's it's been you know I mean as early as that. Yeah, so. and he's and he's the real deal. I mean, he he does these fabulous covers, and with with it, it's almost like he has always sold his books from the back of magazines. You know, like the ones that have to get your attention in the tiniest of little images. And and I love um, what is the fellow's name? His name is William Kern. Yes. I love his way of doing graphics and <laughs> so forth and so on. So I, I really think that handled properly, I think readers are hungry for the kind of work that we do, which is like giving you a lot of value for your little ebook money, you know, because I don't think, I don't think, um, you know, I, 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 I am constantly disappointed in ebooks I download and pay for, you know, um, 
they're they're sometimes very disappointing. So, well, uh, uh, see, and that's that's the thing. You know, it, it's it's kind of the 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 beauty and the uh, um, uh, gosh, what's the word I'm thinking of? The you know the thing that that brings ebooks down is that really anybody with just a little bit of knowledge that's right and can print your own ebook that's right and, and you know i mean you you've read you've read these stories about you know people who have been have become insanely successful uh with their with their ebooks but i mean for one or two of those people you have a couple of thousand who have put out stuff, some of it not very good, some of it really, really excellent, that just does not garner the attention that uh, some of these other well, people... Well, you know, it, it has a lot to do, I'm coming to think, with sex, because I'm noticing that <laughs> I'm looking at a lot of science fiction, I love science fiction, and I'm looking at also... Um, I, I've gone off on a side tangent, and it's where our show is going to go the whole kind of rest of the year, and it's sort of like... Um, <laughs> Let's just say the Illuminati, uh, John D, the um, sorcery, magic, real magic that comes out of the Kabbalah, and of course, Aleister Crowley, and all kinds of stuff like that. I've been really studying it, and um, just went off on a tangent here, and I've completely lost. So, yeah. Well, uh, I, I know what I, I know what you were getting. Yeah. I know what you were getting at there, you know, because there is if you if you go uh, the e-books especially, there are a lot of books of a uh, highly sensual nature. Oh, that's where I was going with the sex. Uh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, um, but uh, it's uh, it's glutted. I mean, there is so much material out there. How can you pick and choose? It's like you said, you know, there are a lot of this stuff. Uh, you know, you go and you spend a little bit of money and buy it and it's uh it's disappointing well I, I think i think for people who have a certain interest let's say that you like soft porn and you like soft porn let's just start there and you've done 50 shades of gray think about how many i mean just keep buying new ones because you're only going to read them once and you're you know you're only going to read them up to a certain point and then you need a new one so i think that might be fueling the market a little a lot, maybe, um, you know, and, as I, yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you'll find if, if you're interested in the supernatural, the paranormal or Bigfoot or flying saucers or the gin, you can find an erotic novel along those lines. Really? You, know, you, you were to, oh, <laughs> oh yes, yeah, you, you can. Really? Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah. yeah and, you, and, you know, how, and how do you guys know that so sincerely? <laughs> well, I've looked. I, I'll admit it. I've looked because I've I read these articles about these authors who have have become rich very quickly writing uh, uh, erotic novels uh, dealing with the paranormal. So you know, I go and look them up and see. You know, I, you know, I never read anything like that. I looked at things like that, and I loved Benny Hill when I was a kid. But that's as far as I've gone. Well, that's yeah. not that Benny Hill isn't erotic. He's. Uh, no, I'm, he would be risque, perhaps, but um, burlesque, burlesque-esque. Yeah, well, yeah. that's it's fascinating. That's really interesting. Um, well, yeah. and and so and some of these, uh, uh, you know, some of these books, and I've actually, you know, I mean, I've I've bought a couple of them and, and read just to see what they're like. Uh, one of them, under the suggestion of uh, uh, my friend Mike Mott, uh, 
uh, I guess what was the title of it? It was something like uh, um, the 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 sexual depravity of Bigfoot, you know, along those lines. Oh and, boy! Oh, well, and this this base. I mean, this was not an erotic novel. This was just basic, <laughs> you know, written pornography. And, wow. and but some of the some of the others would be more of like you said, Nancy, more of a you know like a a, a soft core uh, type of uh, um, um, you know bodice ripper maybe. You know? Bodice- Exactly. Type, uh, type, type, type of book. So I mean, yeah, you can you can find there's there's something for everybody. <laughs> right, right, and and I'm noticing that nowadays, uh, you know, I guess if you can kind of get a thing going, if you're going to do uh, Fifty Shades, well, there is a book out called Fifty Shades of Alien Gray, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I that- think, and I don't think it's erotic at all. In fact, um, yeah, uh, does it? Do, yeah, do you know that book or that person? No. Nope, no, I'm not, I'm not familiar with that one. Okay. I'll have to look for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I saw him on a, on a talk show. But now you, Tim, have two talk shows now I come to see as I was filling out your little what's new with Tim stuff. Uh, you're, on, um, you're on with Michael, and you're also on another show with Tim. Right, right. Well, I, I'm, I'm still doing The Outer Edge uh, here on the uh, PSN Radio Network with uh, William Michael Mott. It's heard uh, uh, midnight, Sunday nights at midnight, Eastern Standard Time. And uh, then I'm, uh, I'm doing a show with uh, Tim Beckley on the KCR, uh, KCOR right. Digital Network yeah. Yeah. Uh, called Exploring the Bazaar. And that's uh, Thursday nights at, uh, at 10 Eastern Time. So and, you're uh, doing two nights. Are you doing guests on both shows? Uh, yes, I was on. I was on their show two weeks ago. Oh yeah, which show? Which yeah. with uh, with Explore in case you are with Tim. Yeah, with two Tims. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right, and uh, we have a, we have a lot of stuff. that that show. I think we're at our probably maybe our twentieth episode uh, this week. So I mean we haven't been on uh, quite that long, but uh, but so far it's it's a lot of fun, and uh, you know sometimes uh, uh, it uh, you know doing two shows a week. I can't see how somebody can do a show every night. Like, yeah, yeah. Like like oh, yeah, that's a real yeah. That's uh, that's actually that's that's like a career job. You know, I mean, well, not, <laughs> not that it sounds stupid to say that, but that's really what it is. Right. Well, I did it for um, a very short while. I did it in um, at the be- <clears throat> when Art Bell was coming back on the air. We did a kind of a we fan both, show. We both did it, Nancy. That's right. Well, I'm I'm actually telling Tim more than you yeah. guys because you guys know. And so, um, and and we were trying to we were trying to compete for the after Art Bell show time slot. We thought it might be up for grabs. It wasn't, mm. but. That time slot was three o'clock in the morning until five o'clock in the morning. Ouch! I know, I know. Oh, and, that's a all nighters. Yeah, and you know what? It was a lot of fun. I love doing it, and I think to but but I now know that if I want to do anything with books, I've got to get all the I've got to get a stack of books made, uh, templated. Get willing people out there who want to make a little extra money. Get them helping me. Then I can think about more radio because you can't do anything but the radio if you're doing it five nights a week. As you know, as anybody listens to Midnight in the Desert knows, Heather is uh, all caught up in the five day a week thing. It's grinding. 
It really is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah. and uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's an interesting point that you made about uh, the uh, the British version of Nook uh, going under. Um, and I think that uh, you know a lot of that has to do with the uh, the dominance that uh, that Amazon um, has over uh, the the whole ebook thing. You know, of course, I think that uh, Nook could have been a better contender if they had done things differently. Um, you know, as you as you had said earlier, dealing with them. Uh, was was a nightmare. I mean, it was it was relatively easy to get your books um, online with them, but then any subsequent uh, uh, dealings with them were were very hard. They're very difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. I know Tim Tim Beckley. There, uh, the 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 Nook site went down. I mean, the, the the version here in the United States, the the Nook site went down. And when it came back up again, Beckley could never get back on again with his password. Right. And he 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 called them, he emailed them. He could never get a, wow. a real person to respond. Wow. He finally he finally just gave up. Well, and that's not uncommon. And Tim, as you know, is not a newbie in the publishing world. No, uh, not at all. <laughs> and and I have I have various problems with Amazon that are huge and insurmountable. Um, I, because it's so hard to deal with all the intricacies of putting your book up on all the big sites, there have sprung up middlemen. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a new middleman is a, is a company called Pronoun that seems to be interesting, let's just say. They're heavily funded, and they, they take no money from the writers right now. So you can be a publisher or an author, sign up with Pronoun, put your books through them, and they will put it at the same time in all five big places, Nook, Apple, Moby, whatever, you know, everything that, that sells books. Um, and you're set to go, and they will give you analytics and stuff. And I think what they're hoping to do is eventually you'll find them uh, of some use and you'll pay some tiny amount to use their service yearly or something. That's what I think is going on. But the company is called Pronoun, and they're very, you know, it's very jazzy. And I've been working with them because, of course, once you get started and start doing this, you hit you hit brick walls. And one of the huge brick walls right now is a thing called, it's the look inside feature, mm-hmm. you know, that's on Amazon. Well, if yeah. you don't do it, if you don't do your ebook properly, the look inside feature will go kabobbled. And that's right. what's happened with with the books I've done so far, and I can't I can't proceed till I fix that. So I've now got to go back into the source code and find the, and it's tedious. It's it's just like like Tim trying to get back into the system. It's really tedious, and meanwhile, um, you know, so I'm I'm going on a couple different fronts. I, I'm I'm creating this thing called a hyperzine, which should be opened in anything on the planet. That that's the point of it. And yet, it will be as profound as any website, because it is a website, you know. So, if you know, it, it, it should be an interesting additional reading device, a reading thing that, um, you know. And so, if, if people want that version, um, that's where I would make my money from, you know. Like, you already have War and Peace. Let's say you want a hyperzine of it, because you want the extra added features. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Well, you know, the, the thing that um, has really, you know, I mean, it's confounded Tim, and I'm sure it's confounded a lot of, uh, of, of, of smaller publishers, is 
getting your new books noticed uh, because of the, the the ease now of, of getting your ebooks out there, or you know even even uh, even a printed book. You know, I mean, it's a lot easier now to self-publish or to you know create a small publishing company to get your your, your book out there. Right. But the market is so glutted. Uh, That's right. With, with books. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's exactly that right. It's, it's and, very difficult. And how do you get it? And, and then how do you get that noticed? Mm -hmm. It's not just the market for sales. It's really getting um, your book in front of eyeballs uh, for your niche market. I mean, some are very successful. So even with some of the big publishers, uh, titles just don't don't work. And I mean, and then some of the people who would review the book, they do it very grudgingly, like they know they have to, <laughs> because it's of a certain type, and so they'll do it, but you know that the reviewer hasn't read the book. Mm -hmm. It's yeah. almost a pro forma, you know, yeah, and this book came out. <laughs> well, there, it simply shows that there are problems at every level. Um, you know, you have problems getting your foot in the door, and then you have problems with, you know, they, they, they uh, you know, I'm only in the front room, they won't let me in the back room, and on and on. You know, everybody, I think, it, it's just a matter, but I think the, the secret is, as I said to Chris earlier, just don't quit, just keep trying. And I do think that this radio thing is one of the additional secrets. I think that you can find your own audience um, if you if you do a radio show. I just feel like it's a way to find an audience. And once your audience finds you, you know, um, they'll like your stuff. It's yeah, it's you know, it certainly helps. I mean, it's and it's another method, you know, uh, uh, social media, uh, you know, is, is is another is another good way. Uh, but it just seems sometimes that uh, no matter how much that you try to uh, get notice out there for, say, like a new book. There are just some titles that, for whatever reason, and, 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 you know, and that's the thing that, you know, Tim and I have laughed about, you know, for years, is that, you know, a, a book that we would think, you know, that, hey, this one, this one is really going to do well, yeah. and it just sets there. Nothing ever happens. And then another that we are, you know, like, oh, well, I'm not too sure about this one, and that's the one that flies off the show. And what's There's, your what, what are your big sellers? Oh well, uh, you know the Lost Journals has 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 been you know <laughs> I mean I you know I hate to brag uh, about it but that one has been a uh, perennial uh, bestseller um, uh, you know for. Uh, uh, for Beckley's Global Communications, uh, you know, he's, uh, there was one, um, oh, uh, gosh, uh, William Orabello's uh, Bible Spells uh, has, has, has really been. Uh, I remember, I remember that title. Yeah, that, yeah. that, that one's been a, a really a big one for But how can you do Bible Spells if spells are anti-Bible? 
<laughs> well, you know, there's a long history of uh, of, uh, 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 of people and uh, uh, religious types. Uh, well, I mean, you know, you go, to, you look at the ancient uh, Kabbalah, you know, that sort of thing. But there are people who 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 developed uh, um, almost from the very beginning spells using the Psalms, various verses from the Bibles, things like that. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's 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 kind of like uh, uh, one part of the Bible says, yeah, you don't, you know, you're not supposed to do this, and then uh, you know, another. Part Part is like the the verses are almost almost appear to have been written in the same kind of vernacular and rhythm that you mm-hmm. see in uh, uh, say like uh, uh, spells from the uh, uh, book of books of shadows uh, from medieval times, which you know probably the uh, the original. Um, um, ideas came from, you know, like the Bible and uh, some of these earlier religious tomes. <laughs> and remember, some of these, because we're talking about um, chants or mm-hmm. spells or invocations that are pre-Christian, and so a lot of them are actually pre-literate, so right. that you're looking at um, material um, utterances out of a pre-literate, out of an oral tradition. And so in order for that oral tradition to be preserved from, from generation to generation, um, you have the oral, um, the, the um, actual content falling into a kind of a poetic formula. So you can even scan the line poetically and it is that poetic formula, certain key phrases, certain meters, certain rhythms that actually preserve the oral nature of this thing because writing changed the whole ball game. Mm-hmm. Well, when you say, um, you know, uh, oral and spells uh, and rhythm and meter, does it change based on what language is being used? Oh, sure, because certain, because certain languages have certain traditions. For example, um, uh, Germanic languages are... Um, front rhymed for the most part. Um, and so even though they, they might have a lot of syllables, you will see rhyming on the front because that's where all the accents are. Because that was one of the big changes when Germanic broke off from Indo-European. There was, I forget the name of the of sound change, but the, but the accent marks, the heavily accent marks moved toward the early vowels. And that's why English... In English, when you see a word that you know is English, your your brain automatically sticks the accent on the first on 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 the first syllable. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that would that wreck the depending spell? upon the language. Yeah, depending upon the languages, the form, the oral formulas, the poetic formulas are different. I mean, think of Greek. Think of the poetic formulas in something like um, the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Was, was this the Odyssey was composed before the advent of writing? It was an oral poem, and so when you read the Odyssey, even an English translation, you see the same phrases, the same similes, and met- that you see them turning up again over and over, and that's the oral tradition of that poem. That's how the poets, because they didn't memorize poems. They memorize the kind of the, the content of the story, then they recompose the poems in a performance. 
That's how they were passed down. So you may hear a performance in one city-state and then a performance of the same poem in another city-state. And if you're a poet, if you're a singer of tales, then you're going to have your own version. And well, that's isn't, that, isn't that sort of like the politicians as they give their speeches night after <laughs> night, basically hitting different points, you know? Yeah, they are, and, and, and you hear rhythms in these speeches, one of the classic rhythms, one of the classic oral formulas that survived all the way, I'm sure, from the very beginnings of this stuff right to today's politics. Um, you see it a lot in Shakespeare. It is the contrast between two absolute opposites. It's not this, but this. That is a typically English oral formula. That existed because way, way back, back, um, back to five and six hundred. That's how far back that goes. And you see these kinds of things even earlier. I mean, five and six, it would, it would be a, a Germanic poetry earlier from the year 400. Um, well, no, I'm, that's I'm sure how far back that goes. I, I'm, I'm stressing here a lot, I have to tell you, because how are we going to get this conversation back to Tesla, which is what we promised? <laughs> well, what you say is, hi, we're not going to talk about Tesla. This is a very fun conversation. It's <laughs> normally become his boring self. So now no, let's no, no. really go back to Tesla. And so, Nick, tell us about the secret journals of Nikola Tesla. I mean, I'm sorry, Tim. Tell us about the secret <laughs> journals of Nikola Tesla. When you get dissed by your partner, that's what happens. Go ahead. No, no, no. No, no, no. Uh, I actually got yelled at this week um, at Belgab for interrupting Bill's great stories. But it's just that when you're married for all these years. Boring. I know. Well, it's just that you, I've heard the stories. <laughs> and I know when in some cases there's no good ending. So well, it's an ending. I just explained what the ending is. Yeah. They're all formulas. That's what well, I explained. Be so you go to the Bible, you, oh, you read Ecclesiastes, right? Ecclesiastes, basically, that's the song Turn, Turn, Turn by the birds, or whatever they hell recorded that song. That's, pre, that's preliterate. That's literally before the advent of writing, and it became captured. And so it turns up in the Bible, turns up in a modern popular song, but that is what I mean by an oral formula. Well, don't you th guys all think that we're becoming post-literate now? Basically, oh, we absolutely. Can, oh, we now can... you're as boring as I am. Yes, we are becoming <laughs> post-literate. Well, I mean, literally. I agree with you. I mean, I can show you a handful of memes. I could put the memes right here on uh, on the Skype uh, the Skype chat and or the Facebook thing. Put the memes up there, and the story's done. Anybody who saw the the uh, little Vine thing, Vine is a short little film thing of uh of ted cruz uh when something went down his face ha have you guys seen it bill no i haven't seen yes that. yes yes it's disgusting Did, have you seen it bill bill said he didn't see it so i guess you well, not, not when you pointed it out a few days ago but i've since seen it yeah have you ha yeah what what about you tim no, I I haven't seen that. Okay. Well, it's not. It's something you can't unsee. That's, that's. I'm glad I haven't seen it then. Yeah. Don't. Don't. I do think it. even Trump has referred to it now. That's what I'm saying. Okay. That's where I was going with my conversation. Are any of you guys afraid of the rhetoric, the pattern? Not really what Trump is saying, but the rhetoric and the way that each little uh, talk now kind of builds until the protesters start and then Trump yells from the podium, you know, he gets 
meaner and meaner from the podium and it's 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 getting people all excited what do you think of that whole rhetorical world of trump what's happening who i'll let tim answer that (laughs) (sighs) Uh, you know it's um not the content, just the well. the The thing about the thing about it is, is that uh, you know, uh, modern politics. Uh, you know, it's it's gotten to the point that a politician is, while they are uh, uh, stumping for uh, to be elected, they're going to say, "I think anything possible that is going to garner their votes." So uh, Trump is is not an idiot. Uh, I don't. Uh, I definitely do not agree with the things that that, that he is saying. Uh, but um, I think that he is basically just saying what he thinks is going to attract the most attention mm-hmm. and ultimately try you know garner the most votes. Uh, I mean we've seen it time and time again. I mean, you know, you you can go back to any politician and listen to the things that they talk about before they are elected and then look at what happens to them after they do get elected. Right. You know, right. uh now um of course uh, you know as as a lot of people have pointed out, you know, of course uh People were saying same same things about Obama when he was, you know, running, comparing him to Hitler, and uh, you know, people were comparing Trump and Cruz and you know to, to Hitler and and Bernie to uh, uh, you know Lenin and Stalin, you know, which uh, that's that's kind of a reach in my opinion, but uh, uh, yeah. well, more Leon Trotsky. Uh, yeah, th- there you go, there you go. That's that's probably that that, that definitely is a better. Uh, He's Trotsky, yes. <laughs> no, but the thing is, no. Uh, when I see the Trump rallies now. They remind me of the old Morton Downey Jr. show. Oh yes, very That's good. That's what they remind yeah. me of. I mean, and Donald, and and of course that was big in New York television in the seventies and, and the seventies, right? I and so that was, it, yeah. yeah. I think it's Morton Downey Jr. meets Wally George. They always George. called them Pablum pukes. <laughs> Pablum pukes, remember? No. Yeah. No. Yep. yep, he did. You Pablum pukes, all you guys, yeah, or something like that, yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it really is Morton Downey Jr. all over again, uh, and um, except this time he's doing it for because that's the way because that was ve- uh, the Morton Downey Jr. show was very early reality television, very early audience interactive reality television. And yet, meanwhile, in that same time, they tried to put Rush Limbaugh on TV, and he failed horribly. The audience, the audience just sat there like stones, and he was sort of having what they call flop sweat. He would just sit in front of the audience, and it was just horrible. But when they took the audience away and put him on the radio, it clicked. It's fascinating. Right, and- Right, and and you look at the old Morton Downey shows, and one of the big differences is Downey moves. I mean, he's got a, a box on stage, and he gets in the face of his guests. He screams at them. The audience talks. He walks up to the audience. He screams at people in the audience. People look for that interaction. They want to go up against him. That's what happening. Uh, that's what's happening with all the protesters at Trump. Right. It's now become the show. You go there to protest, to uh, uh, to get arrested, to get thrown out, and you're now part of the Roman Coliseum entertainment. Mm-hmm. That's Brand- what's going on. Brandon circuses. Yeah, Brandon yeah. That's circuses. what this is. It's the Circus oh, oh, Maximus. Who first right. said? Who first said Brandon circuses? I want to say. I, I'll look it up. You guys. It's don't- Karl Marx. 
Okay, check it out. Bread and circuses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We might as well learn our history because, mm -hmm. uh, and of course, do not even think about t this year's election if you haven't read uh, 1984 and what's the big one? I am I'm zoning. Uh, what's the one that's so horrible? Um, that was shrugged. No, 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 no. The where they take you to the Ministry of Truth and they tell you, you know. Well, that's that's 1984. That's, that's 1984. Yeah. Is that yeah. Well, there's yeah, you, there's also Brave New Brave World. World. Yeah. Brave New World. Brave New World. Right. But that yeah. that one was more of a you know kind of like a a, a kinder, gentler going into the wind type of a situation. We'll drug you up and uh, right, and right, every, right, everything right, right. everything is good. Everything is love and peace and uh, you well, know. I, I you know, want this, Yeah, but if you want the secret to people like Paul Ryan. And that whole supply side economic. Read the uh, read um, uh, Atlas Shrugged. That's the Bible. That book, which is a dreadful book, but oh, that dear. book is the Bible for these people. I loved I that mean, book when I read it as a science fiction. When my first husband was in Vietnam in 1968, I read it, sent it over to him. He read it and loved it. If you're in a certain era under siege. That book, first of all, was a really great science fiction book for the fun of it. It was it it, it was a page turner until you got to the section on the philosophies, <laughs> and then you and then you kept. I don't know about other people, but back when you had a physical book, you could you know keep going ahead to see how much of this do I have to read, and then uh, you realize it's almost like half an inch at least, three quarters right. of an inch of right. It's the like philosophy. fully one third of the book is her crazy philosophy. <laughs> well, it's not crazy, and it's not one third, but it's really long. But but it's a really. But anyway, that book completely can turn you around for a while. It's if you you know, it was written from the heart. She was a woman who had gone through the Russian Revolution. Okay, right. Her name was Anna Rosenbaum, and her parents owned a pharmacy. She was a Doctor Feelgood patient, by the way. Her name um, was her, Anna Rosenbaum. Yes, Anna Rosenbaum. Her parents owned this pharmacy. And their whole business was taking away from them in Russia. Mm -hmm. That was that was the whole thing. It was this, suddenly this new system came in, literally wiped out the Russian middle class, the bourgeoisie. They were the enemy. But they were very wealthy bourgeois. Anyway, bread and circuses is very old. It's Latin, so don't don't even, you know, it, it's With very Roman, old. right? Yeah, it originates in uh, Juvenal, Juvenal, A.D. one hundred. That's how old it is. A.D. one hundred, or 100 year of our lord anyway wow. yeah we're 100 well, ce for for those of us on this show <laughs> well you know the the thing about ann rand that just uh, always amazes me is that you know you have so many of these politicians who are just so in love with her and, like and, Paul and, Ryan. and well and so many of these i, I don't know about uh, uh paul's uh, religious convictions, but you know, you have so many of these, you know, like uh, supposedly conservative uh, evangelical uh, uh, religious types who are just in love with uh, with Anne, and it's just like they just kind of gloss over the fact that she was a uh, pretty much a, a a militant atheist. Yes, she was. She, yeah. uh, that's what uh, that's what object. That's the whole point of objectivism. You don't look at things, but that you look at them objectively logically make your decision and then you live with the harshness of that decision that's that's that that typifies this crazy Paul Ryan guy it's literally I mean if you look objectively not show pity not show empathy not show any concern for any other human being just the objective 
facts. If you look at that, then you come to the correct decision. And, and, and of course, that, that was her philosophy. That but, a better, but a better, easier way to put that is it's the same philosophy as if the airplane loses cabin air, you're supposed to take out the mask and put it on yourself first and then your child because that's the whole philosophy of, you know, self. It's not self-realization, but it's self It's self-interest. Uh, but yeah, right. yeah, because um, supposedly everybody, if they can work for themselves, would have their best interest in, and it would trickle down. And it kind of does. And, and that comes out, and believe it or not, that comes out of the eight, late 18th century. It's called enlightened self-interest. And enlightened self-interest was supposed to be, that was the objectivism of that day. That if everybody looked out And that's when Tesla was herself, alive. Right. If you look out for yourself first, but you're enlightened about the state of humanity, but you know that looking out for yourself first actually improved the state of humanity because everybody did that, everything would be better. And then you could look around and see who needs help. But, but that's what the enlightened self-interest means. And objectivism is born out of that, mm. m- minus a deity because she was an atheist. <laughs> okay, but since we're now in the uh, 19th century, we could talk about the two different ways that uh, these two giants of business, Tesla and Edison, they had different ways of presenting themselves, different ways of doing business, different hmm. ways of, of, of letting their history get written. And, oh, definitely. <laughs> right, and then we find ourselves to today, and... Um, you know, we find ourselves to today, and uh, Tesla's finally emerging. It's almost like the truth will out. The, all the myths about Edison, which we're now coming to find out. I mean, the man killed dogs just to kind of discredit Tesla. And an elephant. Don't forget an elephant. Oh, right, right. Yeah, Edison killed an, an elephant to try to show how dangerous uh, Tesla's AC uh, current was. <laughs> right, because, because uh, what, uh, what nobody ever, I mean, and, and here was a case where poor Tesla, poor Tesla, he was crazy too. But yeah. the thing with Tesla was, what, what he was screaming about was, there are transformers. This current does not run into the home. I mean, that's the thing he was trying to explain to everybody. Yes, it's a dangerous if you touch the main power supply line, but it's not dangerous because there are transformers, and the transformers at the, at the power distribution, at the sublines, step the voltage down so 10,000 volts of electricity doesn't come into your home. And that's how Tesla was able to sell it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, Edison, um, you know, Edison clearly saw that uh, AC current was a superior uh, a superior technology over his uh, uh, DC current. And, you know, Edison was trying to protect his self-interest. He was trying to protect his business. Edison uh, became a rich man, not because he was stupid, but he became rich because he was very canny. He knew how to uh, work things. Uh, you know, I mean, if if you go and you read your your, your history books, especially you know, say like uh, what they what they teach children in school about how supposedly you know Edison, uh, in, you know, invented the light bulb and the, uh, the 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 motion picture projector and the phonograph and and all these things. No, no, he he did not. He had a whole laboratory 
full of assistants and engineers who did all this stuff, and then Edison uh, took the credit for it. And, that's that right. was, and worse, in things like the motion picture projector, he never even invented it. Oh, no, I mean, no. He, he basically, he had one of his assistants, not Charles Batchelor, but someone else, figured out that by using sprockets on celluloid film, um, that would actually move it along at a, at a rate, even though it would flicker, it would move along at a faster rate, and that would get that whole flipbook, um, that, that whole flipbook presentation or which eventually became silent movies, flicks. And so, I mean, and Edison, by the time he had done this, Edison had invented the, uh, the kinetoscope, which was kind of like the old uh, Nickelodeon, like you put a nickel in, you look and you see a movie in the kinetoscope. It was the mm-hmm. guy who did the projector, which wasn't Edison. And then Edison, and that's what Edison used to open his first uh, cinema houses, and then really didn't see much in the business and abandoned the business. And that's when all these people in the early part of the century, the, uh, the Louis Mayers, the Sam Goldwins, the, uh, the Warner Brothers, that's when they moved in because they saw the, the, the entrepreneurs of that industry moving out. And then the, the sales of that industry moved in and, and that became silent movies in um, the 1920s. Which Edison probably uh, um, regretted letting that one drop. <laughs> he didn't because he didn't have to worry about it. Because what happened was, um, after General Electric, Edison's company was formed. Right. GE worked with. Uh, they had David Sarnoff, and that's how they um, NBC was created, National Broadcasting Company, and they worked with Joseph Kennedy and RKO Studios. So. They had the ability, even though the other studios were struggling to wire sound. I mean, Edison at this point was um, only about um, three years away from his own death. Mm-hmm. But um, GE and, Mark, and um, Sarnoff, since they had invent, basically invented the radio business, they easily could wire the, uh, their own studios. And so they were able to produce talkies at more cheaply than some of the other motion picture studios. But Edison But, but did but did see. Edison know about the concept of PR as as becoming potentially more important than anything else? If you just put out the word that you've invented something, it's you don't even have that to was invent the whole, it. That was the whole point with the electric chair. I mean, oh, that no. was the greatest public no. relations stunt. That was the greatest public relations stunt in uh, one of the greatest PR stunts in the 20th century. Find someone who's going to die, Bill Kamler. Find someone who's going to die anyway. Shove him in a chair. Run, uh, run AC current directly into the chair. Throw the switch and watch him fry. And, 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 and as a result of, of that, People were calling, and since Westinghouse had backed Tesla, this is the funny part about it, mm-hmm. since Westinghouse had backed Tesla, they said that Kamler had been Westinghouseized or, or Teslaized, And that was how successful Edison was until the 1893 um, World's Fair in uh, demonstrating how dangerous AC current was. It, I, I mean, it was brilliant. Well, um, Tesla- imagine being Teslaized. Did Tesla, uh, did he invent up till the end of his life, or did he let this stuff get to him and finally make him so angry that he couldn't do anything anymore? No, he was, uh, uh, Tesla was, 
okay, let me put it this way. He was inventing up until the end of his life. Unfortunately, he did not have the monetary means to actually uh, go about and do it. Uh, does that make sense? I mean, he was coming up with absolutely brilliant concepts. Right, right. Uh, uh, but, uh, but he had no way then to actually create, you know, he, he, he no longer had a laboratory. You know, he didn't have assistants or anything like that. So he had no way to actually take his uh, uh, his visions and uh, uh, you know and make a working prototype and you know and and go from there. His final patent was for a uh, a, a helicopter like uh, a flying machine, mm. uh, but he had no way at that time to do anything other than just uh, just get a patent on it. Well, and what happened to his papers? Do you is there new? I, you know what happened to his papers? Mm, well, you know. Uh, Tesla was not a uh, he didn't take a lot of notes personally you know he 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 didn't write a lot of stuff down uh, a lot of the stuff that is currently available uh, to to be viewed say like the Tesla Museum in uh, uh, Belgrade Yugoslavia yeah yeah Belgrade, well, right. yeah you know what like, used to be Yugoslavia um, uh, was uh, produced by his assistants uh, he did uh, Tesla did write quite a bit uh, you know I mean he wrote he wrote a number of magazine articles and things like that there's a lot more of that material than his actual physical notes uh, a lot of it ended up uh, just getting thrown away you know he had a laboratory fire uh, at one point uh, at his laboratory in New York that destroyed practically all of his equipment all of his notes that he had and uh, you know anything else that he had later in life well, okay, here's, here's, here's a perfect example. Uh, Tesla was in the process of building a, uh, a radio transmitter. It actually was going to be a, uh, um, an energy transmitter out on uh, Long Island. And uh, he had the backing, uh, you know, from J.C. Morgan, you know, Westinghouse and, and, and people like that because he had promised that this was going to be a facility that would provide uh, worldwide radio, worldwide uh, telephone calls, uh, possibly even a rudimentary form of, uh, of uh, wireless television at that time. Uh, it would have done that, but Tesla was also going to show that he could transmit energy, electricity. Electricity, either through the air or through uh, the the resonance quality of the of the earth, no one's really quite sure. But uh, only Tesla knew what what he was going to do. When his backers found out what actually he was planning, they 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 couldn't see any profit for them. You know, they couldn't find a way. Uh, they couldn't conceive of a way that any of this could be metered, and then you know, they, then they could charge for it. So they withdrew their funds, and the construction was halted. And several years later, uh, just before the start of World War One, the United States government uh, uh, dynamited the place. <coughs> Excuse me. What was? Uh, had to cough there. <laughs> so, uh, <coughs> yeah don't are you coming down or leaving is the cold leaving you or leaving coming? yay <laughs> but <clears throat> it leaves me with a well cough. they dynamited uh they dynamited <coughs> it because i really thought a couple of times that i was not going to stop coughing 
and it, I was it was going to be the end of me because I could well, the, not make it stop. Yeah. Well, the United States government dynamited it because they were afraid that uh, U-boats would be able to uh, uh, see right. that from out in the ocean and then uh, uh, use that, you know, as a uh, location marker. But exactly. Tesla, Tesla wrote how how sad he was. Because he was no longer allowed to go back into this facility, but he could watch from a distance as they were blowing it up and seeing mounds of papers flying away, you know, floating away in the wind, you know, and realizing that years and years of his work was, you know, uh, was being blown away. Uh, so um, uh, that's where a lot of his uh, material ended up disappearing. Some of it disappeared when he was forced to move from uh, hotel to hotel because in his later years, he, um, he, he lived in hotels. And uh, when he could no longer um, uh, uh, pay, pay his, his debts to stay there, he would be forced to move. And a lot of times the, the management would go and, uh, you know, uh, confiscate uh, the stuff that he had in his room and hold it in lean uh, in their basements <clears throat> till he came back to, uh, um, to pay his debts. Oftentimes he was ne never able to do that. So a lot of his material ended up either get, getting thrown away, sold to paper sellers, you know, what have you. Wow. And, then, and then ultimately at the very end, when he did die, the United States government swooped in and took away everything else that they could get their hands on. It was, yeah, it was the Office of Alien Properties. Was, was, well, first of all, it was the FBI that entered the hotel room. Right. Um, uh, the New Yorker Hotel. Um, and it, it, all of his materials went um, in, into the custody of the Office of Alien Properties, because this was during the war. And um, <clears throat> after the war, the Tesla Museum in Belgrade, you're right, uh, wanted it, and the um, OAP basically turned over, except for one particular set of notes. One set of notes did not go. And these were the set of notes that supposedly the Soviet Union had paid Tesla, had given Tesla, Tesla a grant to develop. And this was because the United States government wouldn't give them any money, so we went to the Soviet Union, which really freaked out the FBI. Mm -hmm. And um, this one set of notes went all the way to Nathan Twining at the Air Materiel Command in Dayton, Ohio in 19... Probably forty-five, forty-six, and that was Tesla's anti-gravity notes. Yep, and uh, from it, uh, it ended up at Wright Patterson, and uh, was uh, 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 farmed out then, I guess, to other uh, 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 secret research. Uh, um facilities across the United States. I know when I worked at, um, uh, I used to work at uh, WHIO, the CBS affiliate in uh, in India sure. at one point, and uh, uh, one of our beats was uh, Wright-Patterson, and, you know, we had a, a press liaison that we'd go to, you know, uh, maybe once every couple of weeks just to see if, uh, you know, Wright-Pat had any kind of uh, interesting story. Uh, that they wanted to uh, wanted us to to do, and uh, I I distinctly remember one time we were sitting there at this uh, uh, lieutenant's desk, 
And he was going through, you know, like, oh, let's see what we got for you here. Yeah, I got this and got that. And I remember seeing, you know, like uh, 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 some pictures of um, uh, a supersonic aircraft that uh, uh, they were doing some kind of developments on, you know, uh, at the time. And, and this would have been one of these, you know, like for a passenger jet that could go from mm -hmm. New York to England in less than an hour. You know, so uh, he ma And he made a comment. He goes, well, you know, we're working on some stuff from the that mad scientist Tesla is, hmm. but we're not ready to say anything about that yet. And then he, you know, it's just kind of a flippant remark. And then he mm -hmm. went on, and then he went on uh, uh, to you know to other stuff, and that stuck with me because at that time, I mean, that would have been in the early 1980s. I really had not heard that much about Tesla, uh, <clears throat> and that name, you know, Nikola Tesla. Ooh, I mean, that does that sounds like a mad scientist, <laughs> you know, type type. Of yeah, name. that's quite the fancy name. It really is, yeah. And uh, so that, especially that when you realize that, especially you know, Tim, when you realize that that uh, uh, that the Tesla character became a cartoon character in the Betty Boop cartoons in the 1920s, and mm -hmm. then the Tesla character actually became this this kind of split personality. It was on the one hand, it was Doctor Zarkov in the Flash Gordon serials, right. and then on the other hand, it was Emperor Ming the Merciless in the Flash Gordon serials. But he became the mad scientist, and that's and so when you see the uh, that first Frankenstein movie with Colin Clive, those are Tesla coils. Yep, yep, that's right. Well, I mean, what what was it? It was one of the uh, old Flesher Brothers um, Superman cartoons where the uh, the bad scientist. Uh, I think he had. It was either the one that had the Death Ray or the flying robots. Right. It, yeah. His name. His name was Tesla. Well, right. Does any of Tesla's work suggest that there is such a thing as ley lines on the Earth? Does he ever tap into that kind of energy? Ley lines? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I really, I, I don't know if he, if he ever said anything about about ley lines like uh, energy and um, yeah, oh, yeah yeah I'm, I'm, like I'm, for I'm, example when he when he did those big towers i think there were two of them one was in colorado springs right yeah well his you know his initial experiments on tr trying to figure out whether or not he could um, uh, draw electricity from thunderstorms, which he, he conducted those experiments in Colorado Springs. He built a prototype of the uh, uh, the energy transmitter that he ended up building, uh, trying to build in Long Island. Mm -hmm. And uh, now, you know, there has been, uh, uh, some people have speculated over the years that... <clears throat> Tesla realized that there were, you know, that there could be like, you know, energy nodes uh, mm -hmm. scattered scattered across the planet, which, you know, I mean, the, which would then be connected uh, in a form of like what you're referring to, uh, uh, ley lines. Uh, but as for anything that that Tesla actually wrote about or studied, I have never run across anything like that. Other than the than you know that than the speculations by others after Tesla had had passed away, yeah. right? I always wondered why he located it where he located it. Um, well, he, he located it in uh, uh, Colorado Springs because that was a place where some absolutely uh, ferocious thunderstorms, uh, uh, high energy thunderstorms, would develop rather quickly. And plus, he was able to uh, get a grant 
from the local government that allowed him to build his uh, his laboratory there and to actually tap into uh, the, uh, the 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 city's electrical power grid that he yeah. helped build himself. I've <laughs> heard about them storms in Colorado too, and yeah. I heard they get out of control. So. Well, yeah. when you when you see a Tesla coil and all the electricity or any of the old images of Tesla in his laboratory, what is that kind of a, what is that energy that's floating around? Is it harmless? Is it like static electricity, basically? Oh uh, no, no, you're thinking of a Van de Graaff generator, um, you know, which which produces static electricity. And I, you know, I'm not going to lie to you here, Nancy. You know, I'm not a scientist. You know, I, I'm 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 basically a, a reporter. <laughs> Right, right. So, I mean, I'm just going to give you, you know, like the most rudimentary explanations uh, the way I under understand them. But, you know, Tesla's, Tesla's coils basically are what would be referred to or what he referred to as magnifying transmitters where he could generate uh, at first a small amount of electricity and then using uh, uh, his... I, I suppose using the coils, you know, uh, you know, on the uh, 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 Tesla devices, he could then step up the electricity into uh, a larger and larger uh, uh, currents, uh, uh, you know, higher, uh, um, you know, amps and and you know and things like that to the point where uh, I mean, you've seen these pictures of Tesla where he is sitting underneath. Uh, one of these Tesla coils, and it's just like these huge sheets of electricity, you know, of lightning, or you know, like crackling above him, yeah. and you know, and you know, he understood it enough that he could position himself in a way uh, uh, so it would not be harmful to him. But if he would have gone, you know, like uh, you know, uh, taking a step in a direction one way or the other you know he probably would have been nothing but you know roasted socks you know. right and 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 wow was he was he injured much in the in the pursuit of all this do you know well you know there was one time actually where um he actually and this was in his laboratory in new york uh where uh he accidentally got hit uh by an arc of electricity uh, that uh, uh, that shot out from his coal uh, from, you know, from uh, his Tesla coil. They were they were in the process of building the charge up, and you know when you do that, there's there's always the danger that you can have an arc, which is basically like a uh, a, a lightning bolt that will just uh, you know suddenly shoot out and uh, and find the, uh, the 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 closest grounding point, and that closest grounding point happened to be him. And he he told the newspaper reporter that he felt like that he had been um, transported outside of time and space, as he put it. Uh, that that he he said that he could see he could see the past, present, and future all at once. Wow! And that it gave him. Uh, a, a whole new understanding on how the universe operated and how time operates, wow. and in, and and in fact, and then uh, his his assistant uh, who was there in the laboratory, you know, uh, was was bright enough to hit him with a board and, <laughs> and knock him out of the line of, uh, of oh current. oh I thought you meant to stop him. <laughs> no no no. Uh, yeah. If if his assistant had just say like. Pushed him or tackled him, mm -hmm. 
his he assistant would've, would have been, you know, caught in the car. Yeah, he would have uh, been fried too. Yeah, right. You would have you would have to use uh, a non-conductive material, you know, like a board, like a wooden board, in order to uh, break the connection. And that's what he so, did. So, and, it sounds and so, and so, and so, here's what's so funny: that even well into the 1970s, because I was a first aid instructor, that the official Red Cross first aid instructions for somebody getting electrocuted is to use a broomstick. Yep. To, to, to like remove the wire from the person because anything other than wood would either melt like plastic or would conduct electricity right to you. Yep, that's that's correct. Well, and yeah. at what that's in. Let me tell you something. Um, um, I I myself ha- had a close experience uh, with an arc, probably nowhere near as as powerful as what hit Tesla. But uh, uh, a television uh, station that I worked at one time had the worst transmitter. Uh, their their Klystron was just in horrible condition. <coughs> And I went out to the transmitter building one time and uh, reached over to turn on the light. And the Klystron arced through my thumb. (coughs) And it cauterized itself as it went uh, through. Take a sip of water. uh, This is a great time I'll interrupt. (laughs) You can take Mm. your sip of water. Um, Do you think, Tim, that it might have been a near-death experience that um, Tesla had? Sure. Well, um, very possibly, because after that point, Tesla developed, a, you know, a, a more of an interest in, um, uh, like the uh, uh, the unified field theory, uh, trying to explain how the universe worked, and the possibility that um, that there is uh, more to human life than just living, dying, and then that's it. Well, now did he exactly? Have a- did he have a confidant, or did he write all this in notebooks? How did you learn about all this? Well, uh, uh, a lot of it uh, uh, he did write in, in somewhat in in notebooks. A lot of his writings uh, he wrote for magazines like Collier's magazines, wow. and uh, you know, uh, uh, gosh, what, what, what like uh, um, uh, amateur electrical magazine, you know, right? Like were, yeah, there were a lot of the old popular electronics magazines back right. uh, back at the early turn of the century, and you could always see a Tesla article in them. Like you could even mm-hmm. do a search now, and you'll find these Tesla articles, and they're and they're remarkably conversational. I mean, that's one of the points about his writing that's so fascinating. That for a guy who addressed the IEEE for like seven hours, he 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 was remarkably conversational in the way he could explain certain certain of his theories, which were really like very far advanced for his age. Oh, I mean, yeah, even yeah. before yeah. even before this is the fascinating thing that that even before Carol Capex, um, R-U-R, Rossum's Universal Robots, even before Mm -hmm. the term existed, Tesla had had imagined, I wouldn't say invented, but had imagined radio-controlled automatic torpedoes, automatic ships, automatic robot soldiers. And, and, And he had invented these concepts and then there was the play R U R, and then came Isaac Asimov. 
Oh well, Tesla actually uh, developed a uh, um, uh, a radio controlled uh, ship. That, That's right. Uh, he gave that, that demonstration. Right, and uh, you know he had a little transmitter, uh, you know, in his hand, and just clicked a few buttons, and uh, it was it was the first uh, radio, uh, you know, toy radio ship, I suppose. You know? And in and in chat here, it's saying is uh, Tesla invented shock therapy. No, no, I think right? he's I think he's kidding. Uh, no, he didn't kidding. invent shock yeah, therapy. Right, what he inv- uh, what happened was so the story <laughs> was that um, uh, I'll probably Tim can tell it better, but it was in the battle of the currents. Hmm. A very underhanded Thomas Edison decided to demonstrate the dangers of alternating current by 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 using subterfuge to get the contract to build the electric chair for the state of New York that was going to execute this person, William Kamler. And so he Edison's GE got the contract. Then what he told them to do was use alternating current to wire the electric chair, not direct current. And so that was Tesla's feet. And so when Westinghouse found out about it, George Westinghouse, he was furious because he'd invested in alternating current. And he was, Edison was adamant. And so it was direct, a directly wired alternating current that electrocuted the first um, convict sentenced to die by the electric chair in, in uh, New York State. And, and, and so Westinghouse was so freaked out because that was one of the terms newspapers used. He was Westinghouse. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, one of the interesting things uh, is that after uh, Tesla's uh, uh, Wardenclyffe folly, uh, where he had tried to build the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the energy transmitter, mm-hmm. Uh, he actually developed for several medical companies uh, electrical uh, uh, medical devices. Uh, a lot of them were kind of like almost like handheld uh, wand types of devices that uh, would either put out, let's say, like a small electrical uh, uh, current, you know, like a, a, a stimulating current uh, for use on, you know, like maybe people's aches and pains, arthritis treatment, things like yeah. that. Uh, uh, he he was probably the one of the first to ever mm-hmm. come up with this uh, you know come up with that idea that uh, uh, electricity um, um, electromagnetic fields could be used in the uh, for physical healing. He also had a device that uh, uh, would be used. Uh, for people who, uh, what was the term at the time that had, that were suffering from melancholy, that right. uh, yeah, or hysteria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, t- today we would call it depression. Yeah, but, but Chris lives in Colorado, so he doesn't know. <laughs> well, I'm in Oregon. And I'm, well, in Oregon, I'm, I always, it doesn't and that's matter. Why, and, that's why the, and that's why the comment of just now in chat about shock therapy, because that was something that Tesla said would revive someone suffering from melancholy, from, from, right. from well, clinical depression. When... I just never heard that 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 word that that term before. Is all it's really crazy. Melanco- that, yeah. melancholy? Melancholy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Maybe in I, fact, I just haven't caught in. I guess. But but Chris, back in the day, uh, people thought there were humors that ran through people's bodies, and so some people had too much of a melancholy humor. And Bill know Bill will know them all exactly. Tim probably does too. But there's uh, there's a there's a Saturn. 
uh, Saturn. Uh, there's a humor called that that you'd suffer from Saturnalia or melancholia or. Uh, bile about, was one. Bile, bile you know, yeah. In, in other words, they were kind of onto something. And if you uh, if you're a person prone to rage all the time, let's say, then your stomach might be full of stomach acid, and you might be uh, very red in the face, and on it. And it kind of all kind of you know. If you look up the humors, H U M O U R S. Uh, and you know, it doesn't mean like sense of humor. It means your humors. The, are you are you phlegmatic? In other words, you have a lot of phlegm, phlegm in yourself, and you're kind of uh, so. Anyway, so and people, uh, Tesla comes from an era not too far removed from that level of medicinal thinking. Mm-hmm. When you you know seriously, um, um, but I wondered where in his life when uh, where was he in his life when when the when he got hit by this electrical surge was it toward the middle of his life or the latter part? Oh, this would have been around uh, gosh, uh, probably in the late eighteen nineties. I'd have to I'd have to uh, mm-hmm. look it up to tell you exactly what it was because there was a actually a, there was a newspaper article written about it uh, you know uh, at the time, but it probably was around like the late eighteen uh, nineties, early nineteen hundreds. Right, because it sounds like it changed his. It, it opened another whole door into another reality. In effect. I was going to say, you know, because he was trying to do the, you know, like, say, time travel or, you know, work with that type of... Did that happen? He start working in the, on that after his near-death experience? Did that, did that um, sense well, that I, and make that... I don't, know, uh, I don't know if he ever, you know, like, deliberately went about trying to create a time machine. I mean, that, you know, yeah. you're talking about a concept that that's a very modern concept. Sure. You know, uh, I mean, you know, H... Mm. H, H no, no, H, no, 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 I know, no, no, it's it's way, way older. No, because uh, H.G. Well, oh, Wells. No, it's older yeah. than H.G. Well, Wells. Well, okay, okay, well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a modern concept in... Uh, uh, in in real life in physics things mm-hmm. like that you know no scientist in tesla's day would have ever have conceived that it would have been possible you know to sure. to do it yeah, yeah sure. i mean you know yeah. sure you know like the you know science fiction you know mm-hmm. writer or the penny dreadfuls you know would uh, it would come up with a concept like that but uh, but no i mean you know but if you know, he found himself physically able to see you know before during and after you know like past present and future in one second he could see the whole spectrum and if he physically experienced that as a scientist he would know it exists that there's a an avenue into that level of being let's say and maybe the, you have to get to that level of being and then you yeah like maybe maybe that's what what pursued him if he was going in that direction if if and or but what you know if that was even the case but maybe the near-death experience is what what pushed him to that that um Mm, that, that, you know, I don't know. Yeah, well, I think, well, it was, it, I think it, it's funny because Edison's near-death experience actually came in 1931, which was oh. fully 10 years after he started to invent his spirit phone. Mm. And so um, when he emerged from that coma, he, he was in his death. This was in Fort Myers, Florida. He was on his deathbed, and he emerged from the coma, and and. And his eyes were ablaze. He was really happy. He said, I found it. He said, it's true. There is an afterlife. We don't die. Of course, then he shortly expired. But, but the thing was that he claimed that he'd seen it. So both Tesla and Edison had near-death experiences. Mm-hmm. And um, the difference was that Tesla's was before 
he began experimenting with an idea to contact either ETs or the departed through radio waves. Right. And Edison's was after he had failed to build the spirit phone. Yeah, the the with Tesla also after he had his experience, he started to uh, to work extremely hard on his uh, unified field theory, uh, right. which which would later be called I think he called it uh, uh, Tesla's theory of gravity. Uh, but uh, which, uh, as far as anybody knows, he either he never completed it or his uh, uh, all of the paperwork was was never released because I mean we we only have snippets of uh, what his ideas uh, were. You know, at at one time he had uh, uh, basically said in a uh, a magazine article that he didn't believe that uh, that there was any kind of afterlife that that man was basically just a machine and that uh, you know once we're dead we're dead uh, but then later we started he started making statements along the lines that um, uh, uh, things of a of, of a psychic or, or or esoteric nature are are real, but they're uh, you know they they can be explained by science, but just a science that we haven't discovered yet. Yeah. Right. I mean, part of what Tesla and Edison shared, which uh, which always fascinated me, is <clears throat> both individuals w- were born. Um, um, and, and came of age in the latter 19th century during what was called the Great Age of Spiritualism. Mm-hmm. It was the age of Helena Blavatsky, the age when uh, the uh, the uh, the uh, the real, you know the uh, 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 the novel the uh, the uh, uh, the real had come out. It was a bestseller in England. Um, then there was the Vril Society very early at the turn of the century, right after the turn of the century. Maria Orsich and so the idea that, and there were mediums and seances and um, um, uh, the writer of Sherlock Holmes, um, he basically was, uh, believed in, in mysticism, even though um, his hero was logical, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And, 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 so, and so they're coming of age during this period. And then at the turn of the century, it, it, it bumps head on into the work of people like Einstein and Planck and Heisenberg and Freud and Jung. So there's this meshing of, on the one hand, there is the paranormal or the spiritual explanation for how unseen things can be perceived. That was Helena Blavatsky theosophy. That was the entire seance movement of, of the 1870s and 1880s. Mr. Splitfoot, the Hyde sisters, uh, uh, the Fox sisters, all that was the latter part of the 19th century. And then by the time the century turns, and, 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 and kind of uh, the world's fair is kind of the pivot, by the time the century turns, now you have scientists saying the same thing that the spiritualists were saying, but the scientists were saying there was materialistic, in other words, physical explanation for all this stuff. So for someone like um, an Einstein, he's positing various particles that have certain but, uh, features. And what about, right? it's, la- it's very late in the show, but I wanted to throw in Wilhelm Reich's uh, right, and the whole organ. organ theory. Yeah, the whole mm, organ theory. Right. 
Tim, have you, um, have you ever studied him or done any work with uh, Wilhelm Reich? Oh well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've 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 studied uh, uh, Reich and and, and Oregon the uh, theory, and in fact, we just uh, recently had a show about that with uh, Peter Robbins. Uh, ah. the, the entire show dedicated to uh, Reich and Oregon uh, theory. Well, is so. P Peter Robbins was going to write a book? A long time ago, has he gone back on and is he back on that project? I hope. Um, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I know that uh, he is going to Greece uh, uh, sometime this year, where um, he's going to give a, a fairly uh, extensive uh, talk about this subject. Okay, because uh, I was uh, gonna kind of. I wanted to kind of browbeat him. The world needs the book. Oh, definitely, definitely, yeah. yeah. It's yeah. fascinating theory, uh, and uh, and I tell you something. I, I I am by no means an expert like Peter is, though. So. <laughs> right, and he's well. When he puts his mind to something, he really digs in. He really and, does. Uh, right. Yeah, and 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 I think he kind of left it for a while. So I'm glad to hear he's back on it because mm -hmm. we need. Well, that. well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, on the sad part is, you know, like you talk about libertarian government and and talk about. For all the stuff in politics now, look what the government did to Reich. I mean, oh, they yeah. threw the guy in jail. Mm -hmm. Yep, right. on a trumped-up right. charge. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. there's a, there's a there's an actor named Bean. What was his What's his first name? Orson, Orson Bean. Bean. Orson Bean, right? And he's still alive, and he's still vital. And he was one of the few people who tried to pick up the torch and say the Oregon thing works. It works. You know, anyway, but we are in completely and utterly out of time, my friends. Okay, um, so I want to so let's thank Tim you know. Schwartz. Let's, let's do thank that. Thank Tim Schwartz for being here. That's thank right. Thank you, Tim. We appreciate oh. it. Thank you. My, my pleasure. Thank you, Chris Brown, for producing. Thank you. Thank you. And no um, so we will be back next week uh, yes, on we Future are. Theater we Live. Yes, we have a guest. We have a guest. We, yes, we do. Um, Who is our guest? I'm looking. Wait, wait, wait. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling. Tom T. Moore. Tom T. Moore. Uh, gentle ETs. So we will. Okay. We will. We will have a nice gentle show. I'm sure. Tom T. Moore. And then, and then we have to look for more guests. And so. Okay. We're, we're being very lazy, and I'm talking to you, sick Danny, <laughs> and I'm talking to you, Chris. We all have to get back. Yeah. And to Bill. And you already know, Tim, you've got to get double the amount of guests. It's a, it's a grind. It's a grind. And, and you know, there's so it many is. really good people out there. It's not that we're running out of guests. It's just that the hosts become lazy. The hosts become tired. They're and energy. the hosts have to write books. This is it. It's midnight, everybody. So we have to sign off. Nancy's going to go work um, for Midnight in the Desert with Heather Wade. And so stay tuned for that. And uh, we are Bill, that's me, and Nancy. Good night, everybody. Friends on Future Theater Live from the banks of Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Solway Village, Pennsylvania, on the PSN Radio and the Dark Matter Digital Network. Saying good night. We will see you next week. Have a wonderful week. Thanks, folks. See you next week. Bye.